Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the, the Christmas season that, uh, you know, Grace, our volunteers and some of the people that work Grace have put together. Our, our season theme has been, Come Let Us Adore Him. And the idea was, you know, let's help people at Grace learn how to worship during the Christmas season because it's a difficult time to worship. Uh, it's, it's a time to be busy and distracted, and there's a lot of emotions that can happen during the holidays, seems like. A lot can go wrong during that season of the year. And so we thought, hey, let's do, let's, let's do a series on you know, like how to, how to worship. And so we, we saw early on the definition in, of, of worship is responding to who God is and what he's done. And it's a reflective thing. We learned that worship is an action. It's a verb. You do things. And so actually during one of the services, I hope you were here, where we had people just get out of their seats and we made room down on the floor and we went to places and we did communion as a church and then we did, you know, some prayers together on the sides and then we picked up markers and wrote on a board and, and our prayers out to the Lord. So we did these physical things. We had urns you could give to the Lord. So it's a verb. It's a thing we need to learn how to do. And then last week we looked at two disciplines or, I don't know, practices that can help exemplify worship in the season. And one was that worship was musical. And our assignment was, let's see how we did on this, our assignment was to use the power of, of music in worship during this Advent season to start your day, to start your day with a song that was filled with worship about the, the Christmas story. How many of you guys were able to do that for a week? Start your day that, that way. It's powerful, isn't it? The power of music, it's setting a mood for the rest of the day. And sometimes you can end your day that way as well. And then we looked at another thing, that worship was physical. And we saw just last week, very quickly, we just saw that, you know, you, you can, you know, our, our bodies and souls are connected. And sometimes it's your body that tells your soul how to think. We saw that posturing the right way can change the way you can think about, about life and about the Lord and how you can receive him. So... One of our assignments was to posture yourself differently for a week during the Advent, what was left of Advent. You could hold hands or you could have palms up or palms up saying, I want to receive what the Lord has to give. I want him to take the things that are bad. Anybody try posturing for a while to see how that could alter your worship? Awesome. Good. Good stuff. We have some more things to, to learn today, and today is uh, worship is wonder. Worship is wonder. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hold on one second. Uh, the universe is, I mean, it, it is designed to help us wonder. It's designed to, uh, the created world, you know, the, the visible and invisible are so that the created sentient beings, whether angels or demons or humans, could look and with awe about what God has done and who God is. And what we need to do to worship is to get the wonder back. We, we need to find ourselves, if we, can, if we can get wonder back in our life, then worship will happen. Worship is the response to wonder. So when we have, I guess, a regained or a renewed sense of innocence, what happens is we can see the nativity. We can see the story of Jesus born in a manger, in a cave. We can look at that and we can find ourselves in awe. Once again, he is fully man. He is full deity, and it causes us to lose our breath. If we can wonder, we can worship again. We need to get our childlike innocence back. That, As children, we, we never grow tired of, of the monotonous. 
There's an author that I started reading a number of years ago named G.K. Chesterton. He's a famous philosopher and writer. He's written over 100 books, poet. And his writings, Everlasting Man and Orthodoxy, Everlasting Man has changed the way I've no human writer or no non-biblical writers influenced me more than G.K. Chesterton and on how to look at the world. And in orthodoxy, I felt like he resuscitated my innocence. He brought back wonder that I thought I'd lost. Here's a great quote from orthodoxy that helps us understand the nature of God, wonder, and innocence. He says this about God, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It may not be automatic, it may not be an automatic necessity uh, that, that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired in making them. It, it may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. We have sinned and grown old, and our heavenly Father is younger than we. The reason, I mean, his, his hypothesis is that God never grows tired of the simple things. He says every sunrise is not uh, an expression of physics. It's an expression of God saying, do it again, do it again. Never grows tired of the monotonous because each time is a new time. How do we do this? How, 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 how have we grown old? Sometimes it's just the compounding responsibilities that happen to us over time, and somewhere in there we, we've lost that. And what, we, what we're looking at today is how to grow young again. As we grow old and we become more responsible, we need to maintain a sense of youth and innocence by not maybe taking ourselves so seriously. That what happens to so many people is, is they put the weight on their own shoulders. Things they worry about are not theirs to worry. And, and we become sulkers. You know, we just sulk around and, or we become embittered. Sometimes we try to control or figure everything out. And that, that quest can lead us to losing the music in our life. And we, we, we forget how to lose ourselves in the wonder of God's creation. So the point is this, is if we can find our way back to wonder, then we can find our way to worship, even in a story that we know maybe too well. So today, what I want to do is look at three disciplines that could help us regain our wonder. If we can look at three principles, if we apply these, not just for the next few hours because Christmas Eve is upon us, but for the rest of our lives, I, I assure you, if we, could pra- if we could practice these things, we could grow in our worship because we'll grow in our innocence, we'll grow in our wonder, we'll grow in our joy of living, by the way. I would highly recommend that. The first, the first principle is that we need to be in, initially curious about Jesus. Be initially curious about Jesus. Like you're reading the story for the very first time. <clears throat> I hope it's frightening to you. It's scary to me. When we, when we talk about God, when we sing about Yahweh, when we discuss theology, and we do so, and in our minds, somewhere we threw a lever, and it went to autopilot, and we're just filling in sentences. We don't even have to think anymore, and we can just say what's next, but not be overwhelmed with the profundity of that. Familiarity does damaging things to the human soul. When we become overfamiliar with things, we take them for granted. When we become familiar with things, we, don't, we, we stop examining them. 
When we become familiar with things, we lose our curiosity. When we become familiar, we stop celebrating. When we become familiar with things, it robs us of our wonder. When we become familiar, we grow old. We grow old and we sin. And there is nothing in the gospel story. There is not a single sentence in the nativity uh, narrative that is anything that is remotely common. It is not easy to believe the Jesus birth story. It is, it, is, it is bigger than any myth. It is brighter than any fantasy. It is so much greater of a story that we have grown old and we have sinned. I remember uh, the startling experience when I was uh, in 1990, 1991, I was asked to join a group of people all, from all around the world to go into the Soviet Union that had just closed down. <clears throat> and, and they asked people to come in, these organizations, to come in and teach the Bible to the educational uh, uh, division of, of the government. And, and so we, we flew in, and this is a group of people that for 70 years had been starved from, from knowing the Bible. They, they were a country of atheists for an entire generation. And we came in, they wanted to know what the Bible said and what the stories were and whether it was reasonable or not. And so they brought a bunch of different organizations come in, and we, we had a single, singular plan. And these people, I, just to make sure you understand the audience, these are highly educated, advanced degrees, some of them terminal degrees. So it's not like we're introducing something to a group of people that have never seen an airplane, okay? These, these are engineers and architects and, and very powerful people, and they just wanted to know the Bible. And it was all new information. And it was, it was somewhat amazing because every story, the hands are going up. And when we were teaching the, the Christmas story, what's startling to me was just, again, how cavalier I was about my beliefs. And so we're like, okay, okay, so, so the story unfolds, it continues this way, and then, and then God became man. You know, hands, okay, how'd that happen? Oh, okay, God became man. Uh, well, he came as a little baby. <laughs> you mean God that created the heavens and earth, that God? Yeah. He became a baby? Yeah. Hands going, <laughs> well, how did that happen? Oh, oh, okay, so anyway, uh, there was a little, uh, a young teenage girl named Mary, and and an angel visited her, and he said that she was going to conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit, maintain her virginity, and she would have the baby Jesus who was God in flesh. And, you know, you're, I'm looking at these people, and I'm thinking, oh, right, this is a crazy story. <laughs> and and I, I don't know, I'm just hearing it come out of my mouth and, and watching them in their shock was, wait a minute, back, this tr back it up, let's... And what was, I, I take away from that, whenever I think about that, that week in Moscow, two things come to mind uh, right away. One is, it was, it was such a joy to defend, you know, Christian orthodoxy using reason with a group of people that were, again, highly intelligent and educated, but had almost no bias against Christian beliefs. So it, it, it wasn't like they were in it for the fight or anything. They were, just, they were a blank slate. I'd, I'd love to believe something that's reasonable. Please make it reasonable, and I will believe it. But it was still an amazing story. The second part that I remember is not just the joy of, of entertaining good questions with an objective audience, but the, 
the, the look on the faces of these grown men and women, they had childlike wonder. They were, they were overwhelmed with the story of God becoming man so that we might know him. And it was as though, well, it's not, it, it, I would say it'd be, it was as though they become young again, but I'm not sure they ever were young in that culture. I think they became young for the first time. Innocence cannot be lost, but it must be maintained. And, and they, had, they had never a chance. And now, in their adult life, they're hearing the story, and the power of God's Spirit is coming upon them, and they're being overwhelmed by it. And it's like, tell us more about the Christmas story. And I'm looking at, in my own soul, going, I have grown old, and I have sinned. And I'm seeing it now the way it was meant to be. There, there's, <laughs> there was nobody bored in the initial story. In the, in the original Passion, it, it was the first time that people had the experience. It, it was new to them. And so when, when Mary is, is visited by the angel and she says, blessed is you amongst women and you are favored by the Lord God and he will visit you and you will conceive and give birth to this child, she she had a difficult time with that. Here's the passage says this, and Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Yeah, because that's how you're supposed to respond, because she was innocent, because she still had wonder. She hadn't heard it so many times. She, we need to get that back. We need to have an initial investigation of a story that we know too well. When the wise men when they, they saw the, the, the night sky had changed, they're wise men because they saw what everyone else had available to them. It wasn't a secret star. All the human beings could see that the something had altered, and, but they were curious. They had wonder. And, and they went about it in a, in a way that says, we, we're not going to just sit here. We only have one life to live. We've never seen anything like this. We, there might never be this opportunity again. And so what they choose to act on their curiosity and wonder, they pack for a long trip. They bring presents. They don't know what they're going to. They don't know who they're going to meet. But what if they needed a great deal of presents? And so they bring great valuables with them because they want to go and see. And then when these old wise men see the child, they are overwhelmed and they fall down to worship the child. There were other people that saw the star. They didn't. They weren't curious. Huh? There were other people that were consulted about the prophecies, and they went, yeah, let me think. Um, right. Bethlehem. Yeah, it's right down the road. You can see it from here. That's where he's going to be born. Got stuff to do. Hoping to go to bed early tonight. Okay. See you, wise men. They didn't do anything. They had sinned and grown old. And it's these wise men that bowed down. And wise men still do because of their wonder and their youth. And Mary, when, when the baby Jesus was born, you know the story where it says that shepherds in great haste came to visit her. So if you could just, again, picture this. She's sitting there with the child, and there, you just hear men running and getting there and finding the baby. 
And so she's seeing herself surrounded by running shepherd boys. And here's how she responded. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She wasn't going to let this moment go. And the shepherds, you think it was just like another day at the office for them? Look what happened. And and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. They come home from work. Hey, honey, how was it? How was work today? No, you know, same stuff, just shepherd stuff. Mostly throwing rocks, mostly throwing. Oh, yeah, 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 wait, hold on. An angel came, and then then some other angels came. That's not how they told the story. How'd work go today, honey? It looks like you're running a little late. Yeah, because we were just doing shepherd stuff, throwing rocks and stuff, and then an angel came, lit up the night sky, and told us about prophecies being fulfilled, and we should go and how to recognize them. And we thought that was the end of the message, and then suddenly an entire company of angels fills the night sky for as far as we could see. These are military angelic beings chanting about the glory of God. So, yeah, we went there. And we saw this baby laying in a manger, just like they said. He's going to be wrapped up in, the, in his clothing. And she said, and they, we, we just said, think about this, honey. Think about this. The God, the maker and the creator of the sun and all of the stars is laying as a newborn, so small, so weak. He was unable to reach up and touch the giant head of the cattle. So glorious, so frail. We were like, God, what are you doing? That's how the shepherds told the story. And they cried when they told it. Every single time. Because it's a great story. A healthy soul has an active and a thoughtful and an insightful skepticism that looks at sentences as we're reading them across the page and we say, really? Wow. Each and every time. It's okay to have doubts and wonder and see if you have like, could that have really happened? Go ahead. Enjoy that. Because an unhealthy soul is passive and mindless and openly accepts what everything that they've always read, but never investigated to be true or not. It's, 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 when we, it's when we stop and ponder even the hymns that we sing that we can find ourselves losing our breath or a tear rolling down our cheek, veiled in flesh that God had seen, hailed incarnate deity. What? We have sinned and we have grown old. And if we were to go back a few thoughts and look at any one of the Christmas stories from any character involved and maybe take their day from the morning until the cycle is through, we would find ourselves maybe enjoying anew the story that we know maybe too well. We might find ourselves going, uh, thinking, what have you done? Oh, God, oh, Father, that you would send your only son in this way so that you would, so that you would 
know that we know that you understand us. You put on flesh to experience hunger and thirst and joy and laughter and grief so that we would know that we pray you know us. You know us. So in our application, you know, what, what do we need to do? I think it would be a good idea to intensely, initially look at the Christmas story all over again. Pick that one thing and say, any, any one of those details, and find yourself worshiping because you find yourself in wonder all over again. That's our first little discipline, initially reading the story again. The second one is worship God, and I put Yahweh there because that means sovereign God. Worship the sovereign God on leg day. That requires a lot of explaining. I think you're supposed to put points down so that they're easy to understand. But, okay, so first of all, what is leg day? And the sovereignty of God is important if I forget that. But, oh, here's leg day. If, If you know an athlete or you are an athlete, you know that the only way you can go to the next level at, of any sport is to work out your legs. There is a lot of exercise that are required from the waist down for you to go from junior varsity to varsity. To get what you want in almost any sport, whether even if it's just losing weight, you've got to work out down here. And the problem with working out legs is it's extremely painful. Probably for a couple of reasons. Just the, the size of muscle mass in, 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 you know, in the density of your legs requires a lot of heavy lifting. But I think more importantly is leg day is hated by all people because you, it's not like your chest or arms or back where you can work out and get a really great burn and excel in that. And then you get in your car and you go, you know what? When I have enough strength, I can turn the key. When I have enough strength, maybe I can drive home with power steering. The problem with leg day is you need legs to get to your car. See, the legs are the things that you get around in, on. And the more you work them out, the more wobbly they become. And so, I mean, some gyms are trying to, like, do something about leg day. So you're getting parking passes like this. It's like leg day. You hurt that day. You hurt for the next 72 hours. And so the reason I'm telling you about leg day is the only, I mean, a great athlete, just a mildly good athlete has figured out a way to like leg day. Consider all a joy when you have to work out your legs. You got to learn to like the pain of leg day. Because if you don't, there's, there's like, I guess there's a couple of op, uh, options you could have. You could have, you could, you could not do leg day. You could avoid it and you could, but you can't go to the next level. You can't get what you want physically unless you go there. So if you avoid it, it's not, you got bigger problems. You could, there, another alternative, and you see this happen in a lot of gyms, is you could just hate leg day and complain about it all the time. I hate leg day, leg day, leg day, leg day. You're going to have a hard time finding a workout partner because it's pretty easy to leave early on leg day, especially when a guy's going leg day, leg day, leg day. Here's the only way you can live with it. You learn to like the pain of leg day. You, yeah, that's right. You just learn to like the pain of leg day. I love to hate leg day. Christmas season is leg day for a lot of people. There's always something going on. It's usually one of the most stressful times of the year for people. And the point is, you need to learn how to worship Yahweh, the sovereign God that has allowed leg day into your life for, the, for a purpose. The original, the original Christmas it was not a good time 
Not for Mary, not for Joseph, not for Jesus, not for the players that love Jesus. And so it starts there and it continues. <laughs> Jesus' brother writes this in James chapter 1. He says, count it all a joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's leg day. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the steadfastness, it'll, if it has its full effect, it will, it, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Look at that sentence. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's like a purpose statement here at Grace Covenant Church. It's all about discipleship here. What does that mean? To become like Christ in all of life. To become perfect and complete right, and lacking in nothing. That's what it means. Here's what it means, to become like Christ in all of life during the holidays, to become like Christ in all of life on leg day. That's what it means. Because the only way you can become perfect and complete, according to this passage in James, is you're going to have to suffer various trials, and you might as well learn to consider it a joy when you encounter various trials, because that will get you what you do, perfect and complete like Jesus in all of life in the holidays. You got to learn to like it. You have to learn. You don't, you don't love the pain. You don't love the trials. You don't have joy in the trials. You have joy in what the trials can bring, steadfastness. And that brings about an eye, a soul that's perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The problem, the situation, the drama in life, that, that can't take you away from the presence of God. That drama, that difficulty in life, it is not bigger or more powerful than the Spirit of God that dwells in you. That drama, that illness, that grief, it is the means of becoming like Christ in all of life. So when you encounter various trials, you learn to be able to praise God for that. Even when there's someone at the table, the holiday table, that's, there, there's someone that's not there, and you miss them, and that causes grief. It's like you can, you can learn to experience the joy in that. There's some, maybe sometimes there's somebody at the table that shouldn't be there that's causing various trials. You can learn to enjoy that as well, because that's how you get to the point you want. It's leg day. And so if you could practice this, you know, in this next week that's coming up, right? So you're encountering various trials, and you can, like, you, you can, one, try to ignore them. I'm just out of here. That doesn't work. You'll never get to where God wants you to be. Or you can complain about it. That's very popular. Leg day, leg day, leg day, leg day. Woe is me, pain and suffering, right? Or you can do this third thing. You just go out in the backyard on your way by the couch, grab a pillow. Go out in the backyard, put the pillow in your face, and you scream, I love leg day. I'm encountering various trials, and there's a joy in this because I know it will cause perseverance. And that perseverance is going to end up someday, somehow, for me to become like Christ in all of life. That's how, if you want to worship in the holiday season, you've got to love leg day. You got to learn how to love that. In that whole experience, you're, you're, the, 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 the phrase that's going on in your mind is refine me. 
refine me. Because leg day, various trials, here's what happens. Here's the revelation that happens. It's like a, a first person, this thing. Matt, the problem with you is you. All this other stuff around you can't change for the most part, but this you can. This is your problem. That's what leg day, these various trials are like, let's see where the Spirit of God is going to do something that only the Spirit of God can do. You want to worship in the holidays, you're going to have to worship during the various trials. And the last thing here is enhance, enrich, expand gratitude. Enhance, enrich, expand gratitude. All words chosen for a purpose because gratitude needs a lot of work. It's a maintenance-heavy attribute. There is a bent in us that came with the Garden of Eden when we took a bite out of that apple, motivated by ingratitude. There must be something more, right? There's something about us where if, if, if we receive something randomly, we're grateful for that. If we receive that same thing 10 times in a row, you'd think we'd be 10 times more grateful, but we're not. After around, I don't know, four, we start going, well, I, maybe, you know, I should have this coming. I mean, if I, I mean, just, it'd be fun to do this as an experiment for me personally. If I just greeted you in the lobby and gave you $10 and, and like, why'd you do that? It's like, I just, I, I don't know, just appreciate you. And then the next week you come, hey, what's going on, Matt? give you another $10. Wow, this is awesome. Okay, four weeks in a row. Ten weeks in a row? How many weeks would go by before you kind of made your way to me, and then it was like, so? What's going on this week, Matt? Good, good to see you too. Hey, you didn't forget anything this week, did you? Anything? Nothing? Or ten things? Nothing? Okay. If I... Uh, Either, here's what I think would happen. If I gave someone $10 a week for 52 weeks, and then on the 53rd week, I just, I didn't, here's what happened. In the little prayer thing in the bulletin, dear elders, I'm concerned about Matt. He just doesn't seem to appreciate the flock. And, and I... I know there's a guy in Atlanta, and he's really appreciative. I, I hear him all the time, and there's a guy that's radical in his appreciation. Maybe we should be concerned, signed, you know, wishing I had $10. <laughs> right? Isn't that how it would happen? Somewhere between, between in grad, I mean, Pascal writes almost a whole chapter on this, and he's a very intelligent person, how somewhere when we're given a certain amount of things, somewhere it tips to entitlement. And then rage. And then we, we end up hating the person that gives us too much. Some, sometimes we become embittered to those. I mean, do you have to lose something to appreciate it is the fundamental question in the human soul. You shouldn't have to. But I'll tell you this. If you want to, if you want to be grateful, you're going to need three words. Enhance, enrich, expanded. Because we have sinned and grown old. And something, there's something wrong with us, especially in the context of our relationship with God. These are just stories about, you know, people in our lives, right, where we, we lose our gratitude. What, how much more so with God? How much more so with God when every breath is a gift from him? Chesterton tells, has a, a great little thing where he, he says, he says, isn't it amazing that on Christmas Day we are so grateful to those who have filled our stockings hung over the Christmas tree. And yet, as adults, 
we never thank the one who fills our stockings every day with a foot. How many times have you done that? Where you put on a stocking, a sock, and you went, oh, dear God, that I would have a foot to put in this. This is so much better than the trinket over the fireplace. He's saying, uh, there's a reason that's happened. It's because we've become entitled. This is a very strange application, if you don't mind. How do you become grateful? I'm gonna, I'm, my answer is going to be called generational transitions, uh, traditions, generational traditions. And, and let me explain why. Something happens in generational tra- traditions when two or three generations are involved in something and they bring God into that. And, and the reason is, is because when we're children, we lose our gratitude from an early age. We, uh, when we're in little kids in, in preschool, we say, I can't wait to go to school. And then we get to elementary school and we say, I can't wait to get out of elementary school and go to junior high. How smart could a person be if they say, I can't wait to go to junior high? And yet we do. And then we say, I can't wait to go to high school. And then we say, I can't wait to get a driver's license. And then I can't wait to get out of high school. I can't wait to find my own place, you know, and have my own place to stay. And then, and, and all this happens when we're running, point is, is we're running away from this cherished attribute that it's almost impossible to, to, to maintain unless we're careful, and that is innocence and wonder. And we're trying to run from it. And then what happens sometimes is we have a child, and we look at the child's innocence as toddlers, and we look at their wonder, and we say, oh, I remember. I must have been that young once. And we envy their wonder. And we long for their innocence. We see it in our own children. And we, and we think to ourselves, why was I in such a hurry? I'd give anything to get back there. See the compounding of responsibilities and the eagerness to get away from things. And here's what happens sometimes in generational traditions. You get a grandfather, a father, and a child in a, in a, in a place of, of, of a sacred event, like a baby dedication. And you go out to, and have a meal later on or you have a prayer time, you, you can see it happen with the three generations. Generally, it, it starts with the older ones. Where you can see the grandparents look at the grandmother, look at her daughter. See, it's three generations of the same family. People are kind of looking alike. And, you, and the, the grandmother sees in her daughter, I was once a young mother with all kinds of energy. And I was in a hurry. And I didn't enjoy the moment. I, 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 I missed the season. I was too busy. I was too in control. I was too worried. And the mother sees the child and thinks, wow, weren't those today? Of chalk drawings and hopscotch and chasing butterflies. The parents look ahead of them and they see the frailty of their parents. They look behind them and see the innocence of their children. And maybe sometimes in that sacred moment, at least two of those generations are able to stop and say, wait a minute, let's drink this in. Let's be grateful for right now. Right now, let's cherish this season. Generational traditions can do that. They can make us think that we're on a road, it goes one way, and we need to look out the window and drink it in. We want to wring out every bit of that. Can I, can I help you with a generational tradition? You can start tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Here's what it looks like. 
The last thing you do on Christmas Eve is you do this. If you have children, you say, this is it, kids. From here, it's straight to bed. Everybody cleaned up in their pajamas, get ready to go. It's kind of, we're going to kind of be going to church. We're going to meet in the middle. We'll all come together, everybody kind of be quiet. And then the oldest person in the room starts with a prayer, short little prayer. Go slow, make it quiet, open the Bible, read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. It's the Christmas story. Slow, drink it in, close the Bible. Another quick prayer, just praising God for becoming man. And then have everyone go to their rooms and get in their beds. No one can talk. When you get to bed, you can whisper. We'll come and we'll be there in a minute. Put on some music. Soft Christmas worship music. And just see what happens when you bring in as many generations as can fit in this room and have this moment and see what happens when you do something that transcends experience and understanding and you ask God to visit you in that, he's already there. You'll just notice. Start it tomorrow. Some kind of tra generational tradition. And some of you are thinking, look, I've, I don't have that in my family background. All of those things seem very foreign to me. This, this ritual that you're proposing, let me, let, me sh let me help you. Here's how you do it tomorrow night. You fake it. You just plow through the whole thing. You make it feel like and sound like you've been doing this for 400 years. The Cassidy's go all the way back to Ireland. This is what we do on Christmas Eve. We've never done it before. We're doing it tonight. You open in prayer. You read a passage of the nativity. You close in prayer. Everybody goes home quiet. Generational traditions can start with you tomorrow night. And some of you are thinking, look, I, I don't have even family. I don't have family of faith. I don't have, I'm not with family. I don't, I'm alone. And I, let me tell you, let me say, here, hold on one second, because I have an answer to that too. <clears throat> you just fake it. You just fake it. It doesn't matter if you're in a dorm or an apartment or in a prison cell. You end tomorrow night like this. Quiet. Start in prayer. Open your Bible. Read Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. Close your Bible in prayer and feel if God would not visit you in a special way. He knows about loneliness, and he would love to bring his presence into that. And no matter where you are or where you end up, you can begin generational traditions tomorrow. I know a lot of you, this is foreign to just... Try it. Give, give God's spirit a try to invade your Christmas Eve experience and bring back to you wonder. Because if you have wonder, you'll worship. He wants you to be grateful. That's an answer to a prayer he'll answer. He wants you to be enthralled with the story. He wants you to learn how to love him and, and appreciate even days of suffering. He'll visit you there. We should start our prayer time together, if you don't mind, with a word of confession. Join me, if you would. Lord, forgive us. We have grown old.
and we have sinned. We lost, we lost our wonder, and we want it back. We want to be young again in soul and spirit. Lord, I'd ask that you would rekindle that, that we would give you the burdens of our life so that we might be young again like you. Lord, I'd ask that you would give uh, members of this church a very special visitation from you this Christmas Eve, that you might show them what it's like to be a child, what it's like to enjoy the fullness of your miraculous intervention, that you would so visit us as an expression of love, that you'd sacrifice yourself so that we might know you. We pray that we would experience Christmas anew, hearts full of worship, hearts full of wonder. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.